Welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe. And on today's episode, we have an interview with Don Muchow, who we mentioned a few weeks ago, was the first person to run from Disneyland to Disney World. Exactly. We were so excited when we heard about him. We were like, we need to get an interview. And he was nice enough and gracious enough to agree to it. Yes. And it's really interesting to hear kind of more of the details of the process he went through to do this run. I mean, there's, you know, a lot out there kind of little snippets of, you know, quotes from him and everybody kind of knows, oh, you know, he ran from coast to coast, but kind of just the planning that went into it and the training and how COVID impacted it and the starts and stops he had. It's really fascinating. I was, you know, really surprised kind of how in-depth he got in a lot of the stuff. And it it ended up being a really great interview. So I'm really excited for all the listeners to hear it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Before we get into the interview, we will cover some Disney news. And I also do want to mention in two weeks, we have another big interview coming up with Tom Nabby, who is a Disney legend. So we're really excited to be able to talk to him as well. Like we mentioned, we have a lot of great interviews coming up. So be sure to subscribe if you aren't already to hear all these awesome interviews coming up. We're really excited for you to hear these. All right, so let's jump into the Disney news for the week. So very surprisingly, the People Mover uh, just reopened this past (laughs) weekend at the Magic Kingdom. It had been closed since March of last year, and it was always going to reopen, and then it kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed. And then uh, I believe it was Jeff Vail. um, I don't know if he's the president of Walt Disney World um, or not, but he's one of the executives. He just kind of posted an Instagram that, he was at the people move and was going to be reopening. Yeah, wasn't in the Stitch, weekend. Stitch wrote it. Yeah, Stitch wrote it on <laughs> on Saturday right before the reopening. So that's really exciting that the people movers reopen. I think this bodes well for them to maybe bring back the Disney runs because the pit the people mover is the best ride to ride when you do a Disney run. Basically, any ride where you can sit on your butt for a very long time, best ride. So they can't have Disney races unless the people movers open. Okay, whatever, sure. I, listen, I, we'll go with I'm it. really hoping for some race announcements coming soon. Yeah, hopefully. All right. And then also returning to Disney World is the Festival of the Lion King. So they announced that they are in rehearsals. So they've brought back those cast members and it is going to be reopening sometime in May. So again, very exciting. That's going to be, I believe, the first show that is going to be coming back to Disney World. And it's indoors. So it's going to be limited, obviously, in capacity. But that's really exciting that, mm-hmm. that we're going to get a show now. And again, we, you know, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with the relaxing of the mask restrictions, you know, and now we have a show coming back that, you know, I think we're slowly easing back into more normalcy. I mean, I definitely would imagine Disney's goal is you know, by October 1st or at least by 2022, they're pretty much back to full capacity with the 50th anniversary. But, you know, this is great because, you know, not only is it a sense of normalcy, but it gets a chance to bring back cast members and hopefully they can bring back more shows and more cast members with this. Right, exactly. And I, I think, you know, again, I think they're doing it right. They don't just open everything up at once, but they're kind of doing just little, little tiny things, making little steps just to kind of see, I think, how well they go. And if they go well, then they can open up more. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see the the show because they are retooling it a little bit, I think, to you know, prevent some of the interaction between the cast members. You know, it, it's it's a bit of a stunt show. There's trapeze and things. And, and so I think they're going to try to limit some of that contact or how many people are together. You know, I... I, mean, I <laughs> yeah, they don't, they don't catch each other on the trapeze anymore. Right. And, they and just so, let them fall. And so maybe there is no trapeze. <laughs> yeah, you're you right. You know, so it, it'll be interesting to see kind of how the show changes a little bit you know, and, and how long that change lasts. But again, it's it's nice to see that that show's reopening. And then also there's some rumors that Disney is working on a show for Disney Plus based on the Matterhorn attraction over at <laughs> Disneyland. So this is pretty exciting. You know, I, I think there's there's been talk that Disney is interested in kind of creating almost like a theme park universe on Disney Plus where they turn a lot of their attractions into either like TV shows or movies, but it seems like the Matterhorn is on there. And I think that's a good story with like the Yeti and everything that mm-hmm. it's kind of in that ride. I mean, I think a lot of people think of the Yeti over an expedition Everest, but the Matterhorn has one as well. So 
I think like there could be a, a really good storyline for that. Well, maybe uh, Disney was listening to our episode where we talked about ride ideas, like r- movies or rides that they could turn into movies. So maybe they were listening and they took my really good idea for Expedition Everest and just kind of adapted it for the Matterhorn. Perhaps they did. <laughs> and if our listeners want to hear that episode, be sure to go back and check that. Yeah, where we pitch different movies that Disney could make based on their attractions on ones that they haven't done so far. So not like Pirates of the Caribbean, but on some other attractions. So yeah, so it's exciting to see. And I do think, you know, as time goes on, we're going to see more and more of this stuff coming to Disney plus just because they need to feed that content machine. And so basically at this point, no idea is a bad idea. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of Netflix's model. You just like make everything, throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Exactly. And it's worked for Netflix and Disney plus is, basically the second biggest streaming service next to Netflix. And so they're going to have to get a lot of content to keep people entertained. And so making deep cuts about ride attractions, that's going to please your hardcore fans. It might not be for everyone, but it doesn't matter. It's an, it's content. And they need it. It is interesting. I, I almost wonder if they didn't originally think of this as a movie, because again, they have been going through. It could and, be a movie. I mean, well, it could be a movie, just a Disney plus original movie. Maybe. Yeah. Cause they've just been kind of systematically going through some of their biggest rides and turning them into movies. So it does seem like it would fit into that. But I do think series, I mean, they've been doing a really good job with Marvel and the series as they're creating there. So maybe they'll use that longer form to develop the characters more, just like they have with Marvel. Yeah, I really think they're planning, and I have no insight on this, but I really think they're planning almost like a connected TV universe based on the Society of Explorers and Adventurers. Yeah. And around that. And I think you can connect a lot of attractions I mean, you can connect Jungle Cruise into it too, even though it has a feature film, but you can connect the Hightower Hotel over in Tokyo, Disney Sea. You can connect, you could say somebody from Sea is, you know, found the Yeti over in the Matterhorn. I mean, you, you can connect a lot and really build out a shared universe based on all these attractions. Is like you said, maybe they're, you know, longer form series, maybe they're movies that kind of connect, but it'll be interesting where it goes. And, I think it'll also be interesting to see the quality of it because, again, <laughs> Netflix can be hit or miss. And that's one thing that you kind of worry about whenever you see so much content coming out is can they keep the bar elevated? And you're right. Marvel has so far. So. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely would anticipate Dwayne The Rock Johnson being in this also because he seems to have clones running around. And He'll I, be in everything. I don't know how he does as much as he does. Uh, he's on TV. He does. Uh, he has like his own game shows. He is on Instagram. He power lifts, which takes hours a day. I mean, I don't know. And he's a father. Oh, and he has his own tequila brand. I mean, what does he not do? Yeah, I don't know. You know, a couple years ago, he he was in every movie. So, right, right. You know what he hasn't done? He has not done this podcast. Exactly. (laughs) Invite, invite pending. (laughs) We need to get him on. So, all right. So that that wraps up the news for the week. So we will get into our interview uh, with Don here. So we're excited to be joined today by Don Muchal. Don recently completed his coast-to-coast run across America, which included the first ever mouse-to-mouse run from Disneyland to Disney World. In addition, Don has completed an Ironman's quadruple marathons and has the fastest known run across the state of Texas. Don, we are very excited. Welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Can you give us a little bit of your background and how you got into long-distance running? Um, in a word because I'm not fast and I knew that I would never be one of those guys who finished in the top 10. Uh, but I always knew that I could push the distance and make whatever adaptations were necessary to keep going farther and farther. And uh, I was drawn to ultras when I did my first ultra back in, I believe it was 2013. Um, I began to realize I wasn't going to get any faster with the marathons I was doing and they lost some of their allure mm. because, you know, it's, you sort of hit the hit the peak of what you're doing, even if that's in the back fifth of the of runners, and you start to realize, well, you know, I can only push my PR for speed so far, but I can add another 5K. That's no problem, and uh, that's kind of that's kind of what got me jazzed about doing longer distance running, and I've just been excited to see how far I can go by basically avoiding injury. 
Yeah, that's that's incredible. I mean, I don't know. I I think I got plantar fasciitis from running a little bit, like just a little bit too much. So. Yeah, and you do. It's, you learn to sit down, uh, rub your feet, uh, do things that marathoners don't do. So you're already well on your way to doing ultras. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, kind of on top of these long distances, you know, you were diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And a lot of the reason why you're doing this and, and why you did this coast to coast run was to raise awareness um, for type 1 diabetes and that you know, people with type 1 diabetes can still be active and run. So can you talk a little bit um, about that background and kind of your, your mission that drives you to continue to do this? Um, yes, it's, it is more challenging for us. Uh, the boogeyman in the shadows is the concept of low blood sugars uh, caused by exercise. It's exercise designed to burn fuel. And for someone like me, uh, it can burn more fuel than you have, and you can find yourself experiencing low blood sugar. Um, severely low blood sugars can result in seizures, unconsciousness, and even death. And um, while it's fairly low percentages in the type 1 population, it's enough to scare most of us into not wanting to have low blood sugars. The problem is that running in the other direction, you run straight toward the boogeyman of complications from high blood sugars. Mm -hmm. And uh, part of our mission for the run was to help make other people living with type 1 aware that, sure, it's harder to do things like running, um, whether it's a 5K or a 5,000K, but it's still a better choice to face those risks and figure out how to work around them uh, with the help of other people living with the disease than it is to go, oh my God, I don't want to die that way and end up, you know, living the last years of your life blind with part of a leg missing. Um, so it was, it was very near and dear to my heart to get the message out that exercise is a scary choice, but it's less scary than complications. Yeah. And, and how do you manage that when you're running these long distances? I mean, in terms of like nutrition and, and then monitoring your blood sugar levels, what, what is that like? Um, nutrition wise, it's not that different from, uh, what, what a normal ultra runner would eat. Uh, I forget who it was precisely it's somebody famous, but my memory's failing me at the moment who said that, uh, an ultra was basically a, a family picnic with some running thrown in, uh, <laughs> something close to that anyway, or an eating contest, I think was what he said, but, um, <laughs> you eat real food, um, lots of protein, um, a good bit of dietary fat, whatever your stomach will, will handle. Um, when you start pushing the distances, your, your, your digestive system starts to get a little picky about what it eats. I often tell people that my stomach regresses to that of a seven-year-old boy when I'm running. You know, I, want be I want beanie weenies and mashed potatoes. Okay. Um, from a blood sugar management perspective, um, there are a couple of tools that work well. Uh, one is um, I have, let's see if I can show, show it to you. Oh, wrong arm. I'd say a continuous glucose monitor. Mm, okay. Um, and this little device here uh, is both a sensor and transmitter that sends my blood sugars uh, not only to my insulin pump to tell me what dosage of insulin I should get for that blood sugar, uh, but it also sends it to my wife's phone. So when she's up ahead three to five miles uh, trying to get uh, some food ready for um, our next aid stop, she can tell based on what my blood sugar is, whether I need, you know, hum hummus or yogurt, or do I need Oreos and Nutter Butters? And uh, we kind of planned the fuel stops that way. And it actually worked out very well. And uh, I'm sure that my sponsors will be happy to hear that. <laughs> I'm, I'm using their products to manage my blood sugar. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you ever do, I, I've heard ultra runners say that they do like flat Coke. Do you ever drink like flat yes. Coca-Cola? Uh, yeah, I get that. Um, anything that goes down easy. And the nice thing about flat Coke is that you still get that buzz from, from the caffeine. Um, yeah. but you, you don't get that sort of, you know, constantly burping for the next four miles, um, uh, because the carbonation is kind of all gone. Um, uh, I like, uh, the sugar free red bull, uh, but I use okay. it sparingly because, you know, too much of that stuff and you go to sleep, you can see through your eyelids. Mm -hmm. oh, 
Um, when you're mapping out your course, do you yes. go for the shortest miles or do you chart your race so that you go through parks, landmarks, and general points of interest? I know you also could take into consideration like detours and things. Um, so like what all, I know there's a ton involved, but what all is kind of involved there? Um, the short shortest version is that we look for the best combination of the safest route, um, the shortest route, and the, I want to say the least illegal route. Um, it's very hard to find routes across some parts of the U.S. that don't um, touch on a quarter mile of interstate here or there. Um, as a general rule, we don't run on private property. Uh, and I'm not talking about strip mall parking lots, but, uh, you know, it's, um, if we want this recognized as any sort of record and being a first from Disney to Disney, it, it might well be, um, you know, we don't want to break any rules uh, about setting up a route that no one else is allowed to run. So it can't run across your uncle's giant, you know, thousand acre ranch in Wyoming because no one else can do that. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, so you combine those things and, and I did blog about it, so I won't, I won't go on at length, but um, the route that we came up with, we did specifically to keep it off of interstates as much as possible. Um, I think over the course of 2,800 miles, we might've had a total of two miles on the interstate and wow, wow. I, I regret, I regret that it had to be that much, but broadly speaking, it was a, a quarter mile here, a quarter mile there mm -hmm. to get to safe roads. Um, and, uh, we also checked in with law enforcement and basically said, if you were running across the country, what, you know, what would you tell people was the least stupid way to do this? And, uh, we got some good advice on that. And we tried to follow the best practices just because we have considered that somebody uh, may want to try to do the same thing faster. Mm -hmm. And the last thing we want them to do is make a mistake that'll get them killed. Right. Yeah. And then you mentioned your, your wife um, is kind of ahead of you. So is, so I imagine part of that goes into, you know, roads that can be driven so that she can kind of follow along. So is that kind of what she's yeah. doing? Like almost setting up shop like a few miles ahead each way, yes. kind of making sure the road, road's clear. Uh, yes, that was based on uh, recommendations from law enforcement. They basically told us that unless it's a dirt road in the middle of nowhere, um, it's illegal and dangerous to crawl along the road behind somebody. Uh, okay. Even with markers that say slow moving vehicle, um, uh, you just can't. Um, they may make some special exceptions for guys in horse-drawn carriages, but uh, I imagine that's more of a Pennsylvania thing than it was on our route. <laughs> <laughs> no, no right. slam on Pennsylvania. Um, we uh, deliberately sort of adopted the what, what we call hopscotching, where um, she'll drive ahead for three to five miles ahead of me, uh, get the meal ready, you know, handle some social stuff. She's usually got about an hour before I catch up with her. And then um, she may stay behind a little while while I continue running after my fuel stop and take care of you know, other business. So she's always either a little bit behind me or a little bit, a little bit ahead of me. Um, I do carry a, a live GPS tracker when I'm running uh, okay. so that if anything happens, um, she can locate where I am exactly. Um, and uh, I often tell people that the, the tracker has a, a, an SOS button on it. So if something were to happen to the van and, you know, she were out in the middle of nowhere, um, at least people could find me and I could guide them to the van. So we're very safety conscious. Okay. Wow. And was it just the two of you this whole uh, trip? Yes. yes. Uh, last time we used a crew of more than two was in, um, I believe it was 2017. Uh, it was my uh, first uh, 200 plus mile run. Uh, and uh, this was a, as a solo entrant in a relay race. And uh, we had four members in the crew and it got to be a bit of a contest as to who got to get the shower first and who got, <laughs> who had to sleep on the couch. Okay. And um, people put their hearts and souls into supporting this kind of effort. And you have to realize that um, it's a special challenge for crew because they work as hard as the runner does and often step into the shadows when the runner has their moment of glory. And the last thing you want to do is make them feel like dirt. Um, mm -hmm. so we kind of felt like the fewer people we could get by with, the better, 
And in the end, we kind of went with Leslie and me because she's put up with me for the last 38 years. So, <laughs> When you went through Disneyland, did you have any kind of send off? Like, um, I know that you got a great greeting at Disney World. Did they have anything there at Disneyland? Um, not really. When we reached Disneyland, it was uh, 14 miles uh, due north of our coastal starting point in Newport Beach. So they didn't have more than three hours of warning that we were going to get there. Um, also it was at the beginning of the run when there was no guarantee that we would finish, you know, it was just some ambitious guy trying to raise attention for a cause. Um, it was prior to the pandemic. Uh, so we didn't want, even if they were to receive us with any kind of welcome there, um, we didn't want to, um, snarl up traffic or get in anybody's, uh, Getting anybody's business. So when we got to the park and we took a picture in front of the gates, we, we did not go into the park as part of the run uh, because that would be being on private property. And we didn't want someone to go, well, you know, I would have done this, except I can't afford to go to Disneyland and Disney World in the same year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we didn't we didn't want someone we didn't want uh, financial considerations other than the support cost of the run to be a deciding factor for anybody who wanted to come, come back and do it faster. Um, so we didn't really get much of a send off there in that sense. Um, we had, uh, since it was prior to COVID, a number of people in the type one community who uh, came out and ushered us along. A gentleman by the name of Jerry Nairn ran from the coast to Disneyland with me, um, which was very nice of him considering he had to get up at five in the morning to do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And it was freezing cold on the beach, but uh, it was more low key and uh, friends and family kind of thing at the start. Um, Once it got to be a bit of a news item, which uh, thankfully uh, due to the Disney fan community, it it seemed to have caught some wind. Uh, We had a fantastic reception at Disney World. Yeah, I was just I I watched the video of that of you getting at Disney World, and I mean the the cast members were lined up. I mean there were guests there. I mean you you kind of got the all the fanfare and everything. What what was that like running in? Did did you expect that? Did you know that was going to be happening? It was surreal. Uh, we didn't have any clue that it was going to happen. In fact, uh, we had played out um, sort of what I'll call disaster scenarios, where you know they told us we couldn't run past the contemporary or you know, uh, they wanted to escort off, escort us off of Disney property. And uh, when we got to uh, the Contemporary, um, we had made uh, lunch reservations so we could park in the parking lot. And um, the security guard uh, approached me and said, are you the runner? And I thought, okay, here's where the rubber meets the road. You know, it's going to be, you know, you, can't, you know, this is Disney property. This is private property. Um, and I said, yeah, I'm the runner. I'm just waiting for the bad news. And he says, well, uh, hang tight. We got some friends waiting for you over at the park. And I thought, okay, well, at least this is going to be friendly. Mm-hmm. And uh, he escorted me across the street to the uh, uh, Magic Kingdom side of the property. I went ahead and took a gamble to have my cameraman go ahead of me just so if that wasn't allowed, they'd tell him first. And uh, as I came into the park, um, there were somewhere between two and 300 Disney cast members waiting for me, oh, wow. including um, Melissa Valaquette, the uh, president of Walt Disney World. And oh, wow. uh, she presented me with that. <laughs> oh, nice. Custom Mickey so ears. Awesome. Yeah. 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 I, didn't, I, don't know I that... didn't see in the video, I didn't see what it said on the front. Oh, That's I'm really sorry. Cool. And, and I know your listeners probably uh, won't hear it either. Yeah. It says Dis- Disneyland to Disney World. Yep. And uh, the one of a kind Mickey Mouse cap that I'm extremely uh, treasuring at the moment. <laughs> yeah, that, that that's, that's amazing. So cool. um, now, were you a fan of of Disney beforehand, or whenever you kind of decided to do this coast to coast? You know, it worked out that kind of Disneyland and Disney World were kind of nearby, so it, it made sense to r- run through them. Um, most of my childhood memories uh, of having any kind of fun at a at a at a theme park or or any kind of outing like that are centered around periodic family trips to to Disney World, okay. primarily because California was a, a good chunk farther away from where we lived at the time. Mm-hmm. We lived for about a year or so in uh, San Clemente, and uh, it wasn't far at all from Disneyland. We made a habit of going up to Disneyland, you know, every couple of weekends or so just because we could. But uh, for the most part, to me, when I think of uh, the Disney experience, it's the stuff I grew up with. It's the rides that were there in 1972 and are still there. 
So things like It's a Small World, uh, the train going around the park, um, those are the parts to me that are sort of um, eternal. And uh, I'm not as interested in, you know, the ride of the day, so to speak, um, Mm -hmm. because I know those things will change out. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I sort of think of the parts of the Disney World and Disneyland experience that don't change as Mm -hmm. being like holding on to treasured childhood memories. Those have a special place in my heart. And when when, uh, the Disney folks heard that uh, It's a Small World was our favorite ride, I think some of them were incredulous because, you know, there's no lasers. But uh, (laughs) it's quiet. And after all that road noise and people passing by me at 70 miles an hour, it it was the most serene experience in the world. Yeah. Yeah. I, we, I, um, we did the Star Wars rival run. When we did it, it was like all those really like slow rides were the best rides because yeah. you can kind of sit back, relax, get off your feet. Some of them are like 15 minutes long. Yes. Such a relief. <laughs> you feel me? Uh, yes, I, I definitely my, feel my, you. My, my feet were sore. I didn't want to do any Disney runs while I was there, but um, had <laughs> I stumbled across one in the process, I probably would have joined it. <laughs> and then Disney and and then kind of you know researching for this episode found that Disney has um Coco um as, as like a mascot for uh you know diabetes and people with diabetes and they have actually like a website and a program for children yes. that get diagnosed with with type 1 diabetes for this. So And this was your this was your mascot. So uh Coco is a joint venture of uh the Disney people and Lily Diabetes. Uh Eli Lilly is a manufacturer of um one of the brands of insulin. For kids diagnosed with type one, it's an especially scary experience because they really mm-hmm. don't quite comprehend what's going on, the fact that it's going to be a lifelong challenge. And uh Coco has her own emergency medical alert bracelet. Um she has a little felt backpack that has her insulin pump and glucose meter in it. And uh, our experience has been when we've met parents of type uh, type one kids or we've met type one kids that they instantly identify with Coco. Um, mm-hmm. She's like, oh, she's just like me. Uh, it's been a while since I was a kid, but I identify with the idea that, you know, if somebody else is like you, then you're not the weird kid. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something with children of a certain age, especially in their early teens, They don't want to be standing out. They want to be just like everyone else. And uh, the idea that Coco is just like them is just a a, a gift to their state of mind, I think. Right. And Um, if you, if you, if any listener wants a, wants to like a good cry, just Google or just YouTube search uh, Coco, the, uh, yeah, she's, I think she's called, yeah, Coco the diabetic monkey. If you just, put that on YouTube. There's a little girl that opens it up and there's like a whole unboxing thing. And her mom is like having this dialogue with her and it is absolutely heartwarming. Um, cause exactly everything you said, she's saying, Oh, she's just like me. Her bracelets on the same arm as me. And it's just, it's the sweetest thing. It talks, there's like a booklet that comes with it too. that talks about the things you have to eat and what you, it's, it's incredible. The, the special thing for us about Coco was that, um, I'm not certain that she's a regularly produced item. So for people who are simply into Disney collectibles, uh, Coco is definitely something to hold on to. Uh, but for people living with type one, like myself, uh, it was actually hard for us to get a, uh, a Coco mascot uh, for the run. We had to sort of scour eBay until we found somebody whose kid had grown up and uh, bought it from them. Coco is a wonderful icebreaker for talking to people with type one kids in their life. And uh, a real gift, I think, to get, getting getting kids to sort of think of themselves as sort of normal with a superpower rather than being the weird kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's pretty amazing. And again, it's something I, I didn't realize Disney. Yeah, had, I was gonna so. say I didn't know it existed until I saw it on your on your page. Somebody asked me what my favorite Disney character was, and when I said Coco the diabetic monkey, I just got these blank stares, and I'm just like. <laughs> You don't know what Disney wizards are up to. Right. No, uh, right. No. Yeah, they're always working on something. You mentioned COVID. And so, you know, you started this race pre-pandemic. Um, I, I don't think probably you anticipated. I don't think any of us anticipated what was going to happen to the world. So it, you you did have to um, stop a few times due to COVID. Yes. I, I mean, was there any thought that, 
hey, this just isn't going to happen. I'm not going to be able to restart. Or, you know, maybe I'll try again once this is all kind of passed. Or was it always, you know, I'm going to get back out there. It's just a matter of when it's safe to do so. It was a little bit of all of that, to be honest. Um, our, You're right that we had not really anticipated that COVID was going to be a big thing. Uh, when we started the run, you know, we were still doing meetups. Um, I had done an in-person appearance on Good Morning San Diego. Uh, people were, you know, shaking hands and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, sitting within three feet of strangers uh, in public places. And that all seems kind of surreal now. It does, um, yep. When we got into, there were a couple of early on pauses. We reached, I believe it was the McKittrick Ranch Safety Rest Area on US 180 in uh, Texas, just about, I want to say about 40 miles south of Carlsbad, uh, when I received news that my father had passed away. And uh, Very we sorry took, to hear we, that. Mm-hmm. We took a week off for the funeral. That was in uh, March of 2020. And um, when I got back from the funeral, we, we resumed running um, in the Carlsbad area um, through halfway New Mexico and down through uh, Andrews. And as we came out of Andrews into Big Spring, which is basically the first town of any consequence you come to east of Odessa um, if you're traveling on I-20, Okay. Uh, the Costco and all the grocery stores were absolutely stripped of supplies. And it hit us then that uh, we're going to have to figure out either how to resupply the van and run as far as we could before lockdown. And at that point, basically stop because we'd run out of groceries and the stores were still stripped of supplies mm-hmm. or make a grown up decision and sort of pause things. Um, so we paused it in March uh, 22nd or 24th. I have to look at my uh, draft of my race report to remember what day it was. We paused and we didn't know how long we'd have to pause it. It turned out to be almost six months to the day for the first COVID pause. During that pause, I maintained some hope that we would start up, you know, the next three weeks for about six months. Uh, I always believed that three weeks from you know, th- today, it was going to get better and everyone yep. was going to go, oh, my God, we need to isolate. You know, maybe there'll be a vaccine. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of COVID denying and stuff going on that really dragged things out. And the vaccine was not fast in coming. So uh, yeah. not to distribute blame anywhere, but it, there were all kinds of reasons why it didn't start up as soon as we yeah. wanted to. Right. I began to feel like, OK, you know, this. I don't know when this is going to start back up. I don't give up easily. I'm going to get back to it soon. But in the back of my mind, I thought, well, how soon is that? You know, yeah. is it two years? Is it five years? Is it is it three weeks? Is it three months? And this and, whole time, uh, you're still training yeah. too. Like, so you're still doing yeah. all this distance because you don't know when you can get back on the road. So it's not like you were just sitting back doing nothing. You were still doing all of that running to stay in shape. Well, and that was hard um, mm-hmm. because running a 50K every couple of days or so mm-hmm. when, you, you know, you, you don't necessarily have to unless you're doing it for a reason yep. um, becomes something of a something of a deliberate suffer fest after a while. You know, the consequences of running that kind of distance consistently is that you get blisters pretty fast, even if you tape your feet and look after them. Um, and there are some things that you do for a run that you would never do for training. And I never wanted to get myself into a situation where I pretty much messed up my feet and then all the statistics on COVID died down and we were ready to start up again. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, I always worried about timing, but uh, we got lucky in um, September of 2020. Um, the numbers in Texas looked good. We made it another 550 miles roughly to Texarkana and we had to make a second COVID pause to wait out the bad COVID statistics in the deep South. We were finally able to start back up in March 2nd of this year and finish the remaining third of the run. Wow. Sorry. That's a long answer, but, but but yeah, there were many times when I I doubted that we, that we would finish. um, But I didn't so much doubt that we could. It was just a question of when's the timing going to be right. Yeah. And, and no, that, that was, Extremely insightful. Yeah. And I appreciate the the response. And and that was kind of one of the things I, I was going to ask too, like, you know, going off of that, you know, you kind of had to keep that training mindset, but even when you're running, you're running, you know, 30 plus miles a day. What, 
how do you kind of focus? How do you overcome those mental hurdles? Yeah, just to keep going day after day. During the day, it's easy to distract yourself with practically anything. Uh, you make the, make your mind up that you're going to make, I'm going to get 50 K done that day and you can get it done fast or you can get it done slow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you sit down sometimes, uh, you don't necessarily try to run marathon speed the whole day. You acknowledge the fact that you're going to probably be out there tomorrow or the day after, and you'd be nice to yourself in terms of keeping the mental state alive, so to speak for weeks at a time. In the end, when I got to thinking it may be a long time before we start back up again, um, I switched to swimming for a while. Um, I, this okay. was kind of late in the game, but late in the summer of 2020, I decided, you know what, it's possible this may never finish. In the meantime, I'm going to pick something else that I feel ambitious about and train for it. Uh, so I looked, I had in mind to do a, um, a 12 and a half mile swim around Key West. There's a, there's a race down there. Just a 12 mile <laughs> swim. That's all, you know. It's not as bad as you think. Uh, oh my goodness. Yeah. Most of the time you can actually stand up in the, in the water. Uh, they don't oh, allow okay. it, but, but most of the time you can. It's the, you know, the ocean, the, sh- the uh, shelf, uh, transcontinental shelf doesn't drop until a good distance out. Okay. But uh, it's not transcontinental. What do they call it? Uh, I can't think of the term now, but it's a, uh, basically where the, the land goes out and then it drops off to what's truly ocean. Okay. The water down there was supposed to be pretty calm. So really all I had to do was work on distance. Uh, and so uh, I hit our neighborhood swimming pool, uh, went out and swam with a friend at the lake and tried to focus on something that didn't make me worry about the run. Uh, and it, it's actually helpful. Swimming is a lot about state of mind and sort of keeping your Zen for lack of a better phrase. And uh, that carried over to the run when we went back out and finished the run. So um, I think it was beneficial. It was also good that it was a distraction. Right. Yeah. And you ultimately finished, it was, it was 88 days total. Uh, there's been some confusion about that. Um, okay. From park to park, it was 88 total days of running. Okay. Um, not, not counting the COVID pauses. Um, right. You add another 10 months, basically, for the COVID pauses. Okay. So it was more like uh, whatever 10 months and 88 days is for the last <laughs> time. Okay. Um, it took us an extra couple of days past Disney World to get to the coast. Mm-hmm. Um, so it depends on whether you're counting the Disney to Disney distance or, and time or whether you're counting the transcontinental stuff. Uh, but it was very close, uh, more or less, more or less the same. I think park to park, it was 2761 miles and coast to coast. It was 2845. Okay. And would, when you were running, would you run every day or would you have like off days at all? Uh, we, we would have off days. Um, okay. I learned, uh, you had mentioned the, uh, FKT across Texas. And one thing I learned trying to run across Texas was I had not planned to do any rest days going across Texas and uh, originally targeted 25 days. Uh, We had one day where I had a severe low blood sugar that we basically had to take the next day off and uh, replenish glycogen. And uh, then the second day was a weather day in Fort Worth, I believe. Uh, And we ended up taking 27 days, eight hours and 36 minutes, which was actually beat the old record set by Jason Arsamont by about two days. Oh, wow. And, and uh, there've been a couple of attempts since then to break the record, which should be easy to break for these, you know, ultimate ultra guys (laughs) that are super fast hundred milers. But um, I don't know that that many people have tried to do it since then. But one of the things we learned was that we had to take those rest days. Um, We made plans for the U S run to take one about every 300 to 350 miles. Um, because I began to accumulate uh, injury, like uh, swollen ankles, um, back pain, that, that kind of thing. And uh, generally during, during our rest day, I did nothing but eat steak and lie down with my feet in the air. <laughs> <laughs> A dream I still aspire to. I was going to say, yeah, sounds, sounds pretty good. Well-deserved for sure. You kind of, whenever you're talking about like your rest days and stuff, it's, it makes you sound like, oh, every this many miles, it sounds like you need like an oil change, you know, <laughs> like a car. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> kind of. Um, the only thing that we, I really attended to accumulate regardless of rest days was that uh, after a while, you know how people always say uh, with uh, marathons, you shouldn't put on a new pair of shoes right before your marathon. 
Um, well, the distance I was running, there was no way I was going to wear one pair of shoes for nearly 3,000 miles. So right. I ran into these uh, spots where I had to switch shoes and I didn't want to for the marathon reason I just mentioned. Yeah. And uh, I would often wear a pair just a little too long and I would get, get some blisters starting. And even when I put on the new pair, my feet were already angry. And uh, I think by the time we reached the coast, I had uh, 10 blisters, I think. Wow. So um, I'd managed to avoid it for most of the run, but it, it just crept up on me. And that was the only thing that accumulated. Um, I was actually able to relieve some of the ankle pain and swelling and back pain just by getting off my feet. How many pairs of shoes did you go through? <laughs> um, I wore out seven pairs. Um, wow. I, I started on an eighth pair um, that I had specially equipped for uh, sand and desert running um, uh -huh. that uh, I, I wore on the beach. But I actually had 13 pairs in the van just in case. I have more shoes than Amel DeMarcos. <laughs> What's your favorite brand of running shoes? <laughs> um, Road Claw, uh, sorry, Innovate Road Claw 275 is my go-to running shoe. I occasionally rotate out to other brands if the blisters are bothering me because the Road Claws are designed to give you a good feel for the road. Um, mm -hmm. They're also a good uh, hybrid road and trail type shoe. Mm -hmm. um, they're good for running pat gravel uh, on the on the shoulder. I don't know that I'd recommend you know for them for running the Arizona Trail or something like that. What was your favorite part of the journey? Um, gosh, uh, apart from the reception at at uh, Disney World, um, the part that I enjoyed running the most was probably um, the stretch from Palm Springs through the Mojave Desert. Um, there just weren't a lot of people out there. Um, uh, for a good 20 some odd miles, I ran along a, uh, it's a road called Powerline Road. Um, and it actually, uh, I took a little bit of a diversion from that and ran a Jeep trail that was a little more direct than Powerline Road. It's basically a utility road paralleling I-10. It was just quiet. Um, it was, I want to say the end of the first week of February, I think was about the time we were out there. And uh, it was cool. And it's just the desert is beautiful out there. I mean, it's almost a religious experience. And wow. I was uh, very happy to have had the chance to run out there uh, at that time of year and to get a sense for why people settle out there, even though the summers are blazing hot. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I mean, running across the entire country, I mean, you have a view, I think, of this country mm -hmm. that very few people ever have or will ever have just being able to kind of see just the you know diverse landscapes and everything. And, and, and yeah, kind of just being out there alone on this kind of, you know, solo race almost was probably pretty incredible. It really was. Um, you may be surprised to learn that you're the first person who asked me about that. And... I think one of the great privileges of having had the opportunity to do this run was to see that part of America and mm -hmm. to realize that there are still places of beauty out there. People are kind of strangers in a lot of places and they wish you well. And it's just beautiful out there. And uh, for me, the chance to see that at a time when there's a lot of angst in the country and a lot of anxiety about the virus. It put my head in the right place, I think, and made me have some hope. So I was grateful to have that opportunity. What would you say to somebody who says, ah, ah running's not for me? <laughs> um, I wouldn't try to sell it on them, uh, sell them on it. But yeah. I think what I would say is, you know, choose what you want to do, but it should give you joy and it should give you some sense of peace. If all it does is riles you up and stresses you out, then it's not healthy. And I was lucky that um, some of the life decisions that I made uh, put me in a situation where uh, my employment arrangement was flexible enough to allow me to do this and to find some of that peace and stresslessness that um, I think a lot of us would do well to search for. 
my last question, at least I don't know if Angela has another one, but any plans to do an even longer run? Like, are you going to go from Alaska to, to Florida or, or something like or, that? Or uh, around the perimeter of the United States? Or something. Um, I've actually thought about both of those. Um, okay. <laughs> I, I think the primary, the primary thing that makes it hard to undertake something like that is the expense associated mm-hmm. with lodging. We did seek out hospitality sponsors. Um, and I know uh, back when Marshall Ulrich uh, set the master's record, I think either he or his partner had a hotel sponsor. Um, we came close to having such an arrangement with one of the major hotel brands. Uh, one of the things we found out was that the, I don't know how familiar you are with the idea of what they call a, a crew hotels or crew rooms for like uh, airlines. Basically, these are these are rooms that were vacant anyway. They're not the best rooms in the world. They're cheap, and um, they're often in the section of town where it's not that safe to stay. Okay. So it's sleeves out of their vest to give those rooms away to people like runners. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's often not convenient to the run, though. And I know guys like Pete Kostelnik had an RV um, and a separate crew to sort of shuttle shuttle him. Uh, to places if he needed to actually go somewhere or sleep in the RV, if that was the easiest choice. Doing a second run, like a perimeter run or a corner to corner run, probably looking at at, at least another five to $10,000 in terms of lodging. You know, while most definitely putting this run on involved a certain amount of discretionary spending, uh, we don't have pockets that deep uh, to just Mm -hmm. keep doing those things. So we would have to have uh, a little more interest in, in somebody helping underwrite the cost to do a big run like that. One of the things that's exciting, exciting to me about doing uh, the Key West swim is that, you know, it is a race. It has a starting, a, start, a finish line clock. It is a starting, starting gun. Mm-hmm. Um, the route is well known. It's easy to scout. And basically marathon swims are fairly epic, but don't take 90 some odd days to complete. <laughs> right. I'm a reasonably good swimmer, I think primarily because I, I knew when I started that I wasn't. At the moment, that's a little more appealing to me and uh, not really the kind of thing that gives you blisters. <laughs> right. Maybe if you run into jellyfish. I don't know. I haven't done that yet. Maybe if you you do it long enough, you'll actually develop gills. <laughs> there, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, and that is, a, you know, another fascinating thing. I mean, you, you don't, you don't run or, or kind of do this professionally. I mean, this is, you know, something like, like you said, it, it takes a lot of time and effort, you know, on your end to map this out. I mean, it's not like it's something that, yeah, you have a sponsor that's kind of, um, you know, helping you. I mean, you have, I like you think you mentioned, you have some sponsors to help, but it's not like yeah. this is kind of your career. We have, we were fortunate. Uh, we had uh, 11 sponsors that provided wow. us with a significant amount of gear, but we didn't have anybody writing $10,000 checks or putting mm-hmm. us up in lodging the whole way. Uh, I was primarily gear sponsors and uh, I did not lack for equipment, but that was not the primary expense in the first place. Right. Um, You're right. Uh, I don't do this professionally. One of the things I hope is part of the message is that, you know, if you, if you're determined to do it, save up a reasonable amount of your pennies. Um, I think I wrote a blog about what expenses to anticipate. It's doable even for some old diabetic guy like me. And I think that sort of plays to my favor that I'm not some super trained athlete. I'm not an incredibly special person. Um, I'm just somebody who didn't give up and knows is smart enough to, to train in such a way that I try to avoid injury. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen some guys who are much better athletes than me uh, who had to bail because of uh, cellulitis, you know, 12, 12 days into uh, an attempted run across Texas uh, or had uh, rolled an ankle or something like that. And, you know, I don't make spare parts for me anymore. So <laughs> I, I know I got to avoid injury. And some of these mm-hmm. guys, I think, kind of kind of blast out the starting line as, as hard as they can. It's good as long as it works. But for me, it's not a risk I want to take. Mm-hmm. Right. And it kind of goes back to, I think, on your blog, you said that, you know, one thing that you connect with with Disney is that saying, you know, if you can dream it, you can do it. So it's kind of that kind of thing where it's like if you put your mind to something and really persist at it, you can act, you can you can make it happen. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, part of the hidden message there is that, you know, it, it doesn't say if Pete Kostelnik can dream it, he can do it. Um, it's if you can dream it, you can do it. 
So, you know, everybody can do things that surprise themselves. And just about everyone with enough determination, I think, could do epic things. Uh, there's not a point that I ever thought to myself, well, I could do this because I'm Don Mucho. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I can do it because I keep trying. And I, I think part of the message for, for people is not only, you know, hang on to that Disney concept of, of if you can dream it, you can do it, but, um, but also don't give up on trying. Don, this has been um, incredible. We, we really appreciate it. Hearing your story um, it was kind of amazing. Just you know, hearing more details about it, I think made it even more impressive. You know, yeah. if you can make a, a run across America even more impressive, um, I, I think you did so today. You know, yeah. we, we really appreciate it. If people want to learn more about you, you know, about your mission, you know, kind of spreading the word on type one oh. diabetes, where can they go to do so? Um, they can go to uh, T One Determined dot org. Or they can search the hashtags on social, uh, either T1 Determined or Don Solo. All right. Okay. Perfect. And we will put links to that in the description below. Um, but again, Don, thank you for being on the show. I've, I've enjoyed it. Thank you for letting me talk about the stuff I'm interested in. All right. So again, I want to thank Don for graciously thank being you. on our show. Uh, it was a terrific interview. It was great talking to him. Uh, and just his message and kind of why he runs, I think, is, is very admirable as well. So I, I really appreciate exactly. kind of all that he does. And again, that he took the time just to kind of sit down and talk to us. Yeah. You know, from talking to him, he's definitely a unique individual. The way his his worldview is, it's so hard to almost quantify. And I really urge you go to his blog and read some of his entries because I think that the way that he looks at things, it it's a really, very positive outlook. Yes. You, it, you could definitely learn a lot. And if you're feeling kind of down, go read it because he will make, he will pick you up. I mean, he just has so much determination and charisma. I, I don't, I, he just is a very special individual. He is. And, and again, we really appreciate having him on the show. So, and we really appreciate, uh, all of you listening each week. And if you have not done so already, make sure you subscribe, leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps. And like we said, we got a lot of great interviews coming out over the next month or so. So you want to make sure you're subscribed so you're notified as soon as those drop. I want to thank everybody again for listening. Thanks for lending us your ears. Have a great week, everybody. And we'll see you here next Monday. Bye-bye.